welcome to Little Yo Pod Campfire Stories, the supplement to Little Yo Pod, the all things Yosemite podcast. I'm Laura Jackson, an interpretive guide who has lived and worked in Yosemite since 2004, and I'm here to bring you stories and features of Yosemite that I have found compelling for my time living and working there. Now, Having lived in a national park for most of my adult life, I get a lot of questions about what it's like to live there. It's not like living anywhere else. As a resident and employee of a national park, there are certain things that we learn to do without, such as privacy, a cultured nightlife, a regular grocery store, restaurants, movies, museums, and most difficult for me, Um, is a sense of ownership. So living on federal land means that you're not allowed to own any part of it individually from a, a property perspective. And residents are expected to share their home with the millions of people that pass through every year. But no one knows that place like the people who live there. Yosemite itself has an essence all its own, and that essence really permeates us whether we realize it or not. So sometimes it gives us so much joy, and sometimes it gives us a lot of sadness, and sometimes it gives us something else entirely, something I can only describe as a manifestation of the experiences or perhaps the unfinished business of those who came before us. In this inaugural episode of Little Yo Pod Campfire Stories, I will be talking about an unusual, unexplained, and downright spooky experience I had while living in Yosemite National Park. Stay tuned for Little Yo Campfire Stories, an episode I like to call The Stalkers. Quick COA. This program is a little scary, so if there are young listeners, I encourage parents to use their best discretion for this episode. This story comes from an early year in Yosemite for me. This was this takes place back in 2006, and that was the first year I decided to spend a winter in the park. I had been living in a tent cabin with a roommate during the summer of 2006, but with the colder weather uh, expected in the winter months, residents are often moved out of summer tents and into what are called WOBs, W-O-B. WOB stands for without bath, at least that's what I was told. It is a little hard-sided cabin with electricity and heat, but no running water, that's the name. The floor plan is about 120 square feet. There are a couple of little windows and we share the space with another person. So it's pretty tight quarters to say the least. Still, uh, I was young and I was excited for my first WOB experience. Moving into a little cabin was a sort of rite of passage. Uh, It indicated when one was making the leap or the decision to go from a seasonal employee to a full-time resident of the park. So I moved into my first WAB with a friend I had met through my work unit, and my old roommate remained in our tent, our summer tent, for the time being. 
And she and I got along well, but we were not necessarily close. Uh, Still, we would sometimes have a chat when crossing paths and housing, which happens pretty often. My new roommate had taken some vacation time away from the park for a week or so shortly after we both moved into the cabin. And I was really excited about this because alone time or privacy is a very rare luxury in Yosemite housing. And I couldn't wait to have the place all to myself. And this was a desire that I would later regret. It was early autumn, the weather was cool, the leaves were just starting to change, and I really enjoy these days, especially biking around Yosemite Valley and saying farewell to summer and the summer crowds. It was a transition um, with the season, but it was also a transition for me in many ways. I was finally leaving the comfort of my old permanent home with my family And I had to say goodbye to someone I had met that summer who had become very dear to me. So it was a tough time for me. And I suppose I was a bit anxious, perhaps not sleeping very well. Now, I don't remember the events specifically leading up to the night when things got strange. But I want to preface this next part by saying I've never had unusual sleeping patterns other than some irregular bouts with insomnia. I have always been a sound sleeper. I have never been known to sleepwalk or be overly restless, depending on who you ask. Although I did say the Pledge of Allegiance once in my sleep according to my babysitter. But the event that took place on this particular night was unlike any I had ever experienced before or since. So after I had fallen asleep and I had been sleeping for what I would assume to be several hours, I was suddenly wide awake. My eyes popped open and I noticed that my adrenaline was really high. As my eyes adjusted to the darkness of the room, I located two figures at the side of my bed. A man was in the foreground right next to me and a woman was behind him near the foot of my bed. And they were both staring at me. And it occurred to me that this was very strange. They were dressed all in green from head to toe, a velvet type of material, and their clothes were from a time gone by. I would have to say they appeared to have been from the 1860s or so. The man had on slacks and a vest and a coat, and the woman was wearing a full skirt and what appeared to be a corset. And I thought, I must be dreaming. (laughs) I've had this thought several times while I've been asleep. It seemed harmless enough, although this felt different. Nothing else in the room was unusual, just the two figures, clear as day, staring right at me. I could see their faces. There was nothing ambiguous about them. Suddenly, the man lunged at me. He hunched over my body and placed his arm across my chest, and I realized I couldn't breathe. But worse than that, I couldn't move. I couldn't scream. I couldn't fight him off. I was completely paralyzed, except for my eyes. I could still see them both. The man's face right in front of mine as he pressed harder and harder on my chest. I could feel my body growing desperate for air. I could feel 
every muscle start to tense. My eyes pleaded with him to release me, but he wouldn't budge. The woman continued to stare at me as if she were staring at a person who was already dead and gone. Her eyes were very sad. When I didn't think I could go a moment longer without air, I suddenly shot up in bed. Air filled my lungs as I inhaled deeply and clutched my throat. I looked around the room. They had gone, disappeared. Everything was still. I burst out of my room to the outside and searched desperately for anyone. It was the dead of night. There was not a sound. It must have been very late, and I found no comfort there. In fact, it was worse. I returned to my cabin, turned on every light, and did not sleep for the next two days. I told my manager about my experience, and he wasn't surprised. He said things like that happened all the time in the park. But I did some research on my own and read about something called sleep paralysis. And this is a condition when a person is awake but unable to move. Sleep paralysis is also characterized by hallucinations. It's kind of like your brain wakes up in a weird way, but your body doesn't respond. You're kind of like half in and half out. A common hallucination um, during sleep paralysis is being suffocated by a supernatural force. And sleep paralysis, uh, early victims are depicted in paintings of people that are asleep with a demon seated on their chest. So that seemed pretty familiar. So I decided I wasn't haunted or attacked by an incubus. My brain just went to Wonkville one night, probably due in large part to the transitions and the sadness I had been experiencing. So I could feel confident returning to my cabin and rest easily. Um, It was a relief. Everything kind of returned to normal. A few days later, I was hanging out with some friends in the housing area called Huff, and we were having some drinks and chatting, probably complaining, as we did most nights. And I hadn't seen my my old roommate in some time, but I knew she was still living in the tent and getting ready to move out to a bob herself. She had not received any new roommates since I had left, at least not in the traditional human sense. I noticed her a few yards away and approaching me and my group of friends that night, and she seemed a bit troubled. She asked if she could speak with me privately. We walked away from the group, and she asked me if anything weird had been happening since I moved out. I told her about my experience with the phantoms, but then explained that I determined it was a psychological manifestation And she looked very intensely at me. Her eyes grew wide. I asked her what was up. She said she had woken up suddenly a few nights ago and noticed something across the room near my old bed. She said it was dark, an amorphous figure. It was hovering in space. It was hovering over where I used to sleep. And it appeared to be looking for something. Eventually, it disappeared and she tried to ignore the presence, but she couldn't shake the feeling it had given her. Cold, dark, sinister. A few weeks later, she left the park, and I never heard from her again. Yosemite is a special place with thousands of years of human history before us. 
Most of the stories have been lost to time, and we will never know every soul who has made their home there. But every person who passes through brings something with them and leaves something behind. Yosemite holds the stories and secrets of millions of souls who come here to search for something. Perhaps some of them are still searching. I want to thank you all for listening to this episode of Little Yo Pod Campfire Stories. If you have a story of adventure, mishap, or a spooky experience you would like to share on the podcast, please email me at littleyopod at gmail.com. You can send me a personal story or one you've heard as long as it's not a published work. And if you're feeling brave, you can even record a story on voice memo on your phone and send it along to me. I promise I won't use anything without your permission or without contacting you first. I hope everyone is staying healthy, practicing social distancing and washing their hands. So much it hurts. Don't forget to stay in touch with your loved ones and use this time to be reflective and perhaps a little creative. We may never get an opportunity like this again, and although this is certainly a terrible and difficult time, we are all examples of what a cooperative and compassionate society we are, and how we are there for each other so hard during this global crisis. Our cooperation following suggested social distancing guidelines is a literal gift to everyone in our communities. So hunker down with your coffee and your snacks, maybe a beer or a glass of wine, and send me some stories. This week's fun fact, famed nature photographer and Yosemite champion Ansel Adams contracted and survived the Spanish flu pandemic, and he became obsessed with washing his hands after touching anything. It is supposed that something that may have helped him cope with his obsession with cleanliness and the trauma from his illness was time spent in Yosemite and pursuing his creative passion. That's going to wrap it up for this episode of Little Yo Pod. I'm Laura Jackson. Thanks for listening and have a beautiful day. Music